Sorry. <laughs> uh, are we on? Are we ready? We're, uh, yeah, we're live. We're rolling live from, oh, I made that joke last New week. York. Never mind. Yeah. Did you really? I, yeah, I said I live from New York. It's it's seasonal depression. In any oh, yeah, case, it's that. not Saturday night. It's Thursday night. I still have a Thursday whole day of work ahead of me. Okay, Miss, I'm in a different time zone. Why don't you take it down a notch? What? I have a whole... You just reminded me that I have to go to work. That this is my Sunday, and I'm like... That's a drag, man. Yeah. But uh, this weekend, we're celebrating presidents because they're not war criminals. Um, So I do get Monday off, Mm -hmm. and we're meeting our potential dog that day. (gasps) Peppa. Peppa. I made this Spinderella joke. I think to you and to Caesar, and nobody got it. But that's all I think about when you say Peppa. It's like, it's all Peppa and Spinderella. Cut it up one time. (laughs) This is the Spooky Succubus cast. I am Abby. I'm I'm here with Rebecca. Uh, This is an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, anti-fatphobia, anti-classism socialist communist podcast and we talk about horror movies and we try to talk about them through uh, an equitable lens and usually we do what we can but we're idiots so sorry yeah sorry i'm dumb can't read <laughs> can't talk can't hold my liquor you know we're we're fucking dirtbags but we're here doing yeah. this shit so you don't have to but no one asked us to and it's not nobody necessary. asked yeah. us it was our own idea <laughs> whatever You'll enjoy it. Just keep listening. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, or you'll be like, these women need therapy and jokes on you because we know. Shut <laughs> up. Yeah, too late. I know. Uh, yeah, this. So today we're talking about The Haunting in Connecticut from 2009. And it's basically my childhood. It was like I was, was like so many things yeah. about it I have a lot of connections and I hated it. But I... other than that, it was a good movie. Of course, you know that I am on a crusade to get everyone to stop being so afraid of death. So I was like, I roll, I roll, I roll. Yeah, there's a lot of instances of like, yucky, death is gross. Just to confirm, funeral houses, funeral homes and parlors are not inherently bad places. So can we stop that narrative? Like people go to a lot of school to be morticians. And it's, like, a very legitimate trade, so let's stop thinking they're creepy. Okay? Bitches? Betches? Bitches? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're, like, chill with creepy and spooky stuff, right? So just, like, tell your friends to be cooler, okay? Yeah, we don't have any friends to tell, so we need you to do it for us. Uh, Yeah. So. I've got one friend. And I'm looking at her. Just kidding. That That's not nice to say because I have a lot of other I'm just kidding. lovely yeah, friends. Other friend. Don't feel bad. Um, so Rebecca's doing the plot for us today. It's juicy. Uh, we've got it uh. all. We've got terminal illness, haunted mortuary, uh, the 80s, a hot reverend, sexy reverend. I mean, something for everyone, truly. Something for everyone. It's not very like... 80s like nostalgia porn the way that everything is now it's like just like nobody has a cell phone yeah so the and like handle you know the like lettering on the radiation place where mac goes is just like old-fashioned yeah 
Yeah. Sometimes I think nostalgia right. porn goes a little too far. It goes hard in the paint. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we don't need all of it. But I'm, I do love nostalgia. I wasn't alive in the 80s, but. This is really yeah. nostalgic. We're way, way back to the 1900s, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was around back then. You probably sure. were in some form. Uh, maybe I've mentioned this before, and maybe my mom probably doesn't want me to tell you, but uh, she thinks I'm the reincarnated spirit of my great-grandmother, my mom's mom. She, like, has mentioned it several times throughout my childhood. How does that... And that when I was a little... Well, how does that make you feel? Do you, like, identify with that person? I've n- I never... I mean, she was dead before I was born. I don't know. I don't... Because when I was little, I used to say creepy things about things that I shouldn't have known anything about. And I also had a lot of imaginary friends that were named after dead relatives of mine. Like, not dead relatives, but just, like coincidentally have you ever heard that story of a little boy that like people believed he was like and he was the reincarnation of like a world war one pilot or something because he started saying creepy shit about like world war one battles that he when he was like three he was saying like specific things about (laughs) specific planes i heard it on podcasts i'll have to find it for you (laughs) yeah so that was me when i was little i was like walking around saying creepy shit that checks out yeah yeah, uh, but anyway, we'll get into more of my childhood, I'm sure, because this is basically it. You're watching it. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I mean, you have to reveal something, because I told everyone how I grabbed my dad's dick, so... <laughs> but your that story's funny. The stories that this reminds me of are not funny. They're, they're bummers. They're straight bummers. Fair. So. All right, should we get into it? Let's get into it. <laughs> okay, so soft... Uh, Soft music plays as we see black and white old photos of people. The images are then turned to the preservation of bodies and then traditional mortuary photos of dead relatives and their family members, which is mentioned in the movie, but is oftentimes the only time people ever had their picture taken. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we see black screen based on a true story, which is straight lies but we'll get into that too uh virginia madsen's character remember her we have two recurring appearances in this movie the triumphant return Uh, of virginia madsen to the podcast she still does great i still love her uh so sarah her character's name is sarah and she's being interviewed on camera and she vaguely states she doesn't know why this bad something bad happened to her family and then we see newspaper headlines saying things like nightmare in connecticut hell house etc she then says she has a sick child who doctor said didn't have much time to live we then see her driving and praying out loud with a teenage son, Matt, played by Kyle Galliner in the backseat. Kyle Galliner made an appearance in Jennifer's body as the emo scene kid. Uh, he says he's going to get sick and they pull over so he can vomit. Back at home, Virginia Madsen tells her husband, Peter, played by Martin Donovan, how sick Matt is. Mar- Do you remember Sage? Martin Donovan, Pastor Skip from Saved, yeah. God, he's still he's, giving off Pastor Skip He's basically vibes. Pastor yeah. Skip yeah. <laughs> in this movie, too. Yeah. Um, so they discuss moving closer to the hospital because Sarah's been driving all night. Um, and Matt's, that's where the only place Matt can have his treatments, and they can't, but they can't afford it because their money is wrapped up in this 
ambiguous business. We don't really, I'm not really sure. Don't what worry it is. about it because we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know. Um, th- we learn that the couple have another child, Billy, and that they've taken in their nieces, a teenager, Wendy, and a younger girl, Mary. Peter concedes and says that they should get a rental in Connecticut and he'll come up on weekends because he still needs to run this business. Uh, We are then at St. Michael's Hospital in Connecticut on June 27th, 1987. This is the only time we get time and place cards also. Just, like, confusing. Um, But a doctor explains that Matt's body might burn and be red from the treatment. And then we see him getting radiation as Sarah's driving around looking at rental houses. She pulls up to a man hammering a rental sign. He's wearing a very Theo Huxtable sweater and seems nice and relatable. Uh, she says, so you don't mind children? And his response is, where would we be without them? It's a, it's a foreshadowing for sure. Uh, the place is spacious and affordable, and Sarah asks what the catch is. The landlord says there's a history, and then we cut to Sarah on the phone, presumably with Peter saying that the place seems perfect, but was, just wasn't right. That night on the drive home, Matt is in a lot of pain. Sarah can't take it, so she turns the car around and goes back to the rental in the middle of the night in the rain. She decides that they're going to take the place and calls Peter to tell him that she had to do it and make it an executive decision for the family. While Matt is watching TV, we see a scary reflection when it's shut off. That night he dreams of going down into the basement and seeing a scary reflection. Uh, Sarah and Matt... Oh, yeah. Lots of reflections. Uh... Sarah and Matt are cleaning up the house. Sarah finds funeral and memorial photos in a hidden cabinet and then throws them away to because confirm, death is gross. Yeah, please don't <laughs> throw ephemera away that you find in a house that doesn't belong to you. Those are really valuable and very beautiful. And yeah, just like a piece of personal history and of history in general. Like, yeah, I know like awesome. death makes you uncomfortable, but those people were people. So take it down a notch, Virginia Madsen. Right. I mean, life makes me uncomfortable, but... Uh, I I feel like the only thing that's scary about death is, like, your friends and family and loved ones will be sad, but I'll be, you know, nowhere. I won't give a shit. Well, yeah, the scary thing about death isn't my death, it's other people's death that scares me, but... Because, yeah, who cares? Uh, yeah, I feel like, but also death yeah. is just death. Like, people... Right. You lose people, and it's fucking painful, but the value in being scared of it is pretty low because shit happens all the time for no fucking reason. But I can only say uh, that because, like, a lot of people that I love are dead now. <laughs> I'm I'm in great shape, yeah. you're You're doing well. Uh, so Matt decides he wants to stay in the creepy basement with a room that won't open because it, quote, chose him and it has its own bathroom, so no one can hear him puking. Uh, the rest of the family is picking rooms, and we see another scary reflection in Wendy's room. Birds is an image that we also don't get a backstory for. There's just a, they have a lot of bird flapping problems, and there's really no like resolution it probably has some symbolic meaning that we aren't smart enough to unpack like souls are birds and they're trapped in a cage slash trapped in the living realm but like it's just not like a super cohesive it's a hat on a hat baby it's a hat on a hat hat. we have enough (laughs) (laughs) um 
So, while Sarah is mopping the basement floor, Matt hallucinates blood instead of water, but doesn't tell her. And then we're like, Later, here we go. The, you know, the is. sick teenage well, teenager will just hallucinate things all through the movie, and his family will go, what, honey? And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it happens in the next scene, literal next scene. Oh, the plate scene? scene? Uh, he sees yeah. plates move on their own and fall out of the cabinet. This is when we learn that um, if Matt starts seeing things and tells his doctor, he will be dropped from the medical trial. Yes. He denies having seen anything to Sarah, and she's apprehensive but believes him. Uh, Matt dreams of a young boy and an older man with glasses in an operating room. The man is carving symbols into the corpse and then cuts off one of their eyes. Uh, uh, A-R-W over here. I don't fuck with fingernails. I don't fuck with teeth. And I don't fuck with eyeball stuff. Okay? Rip someone's intestines out. I am fine with it. But clipping someone's eyelids off was so gross. Yeah. Caesar hates uh, when I put my contacts in. It really freaks him it out. It freaks me out, too. That's why I wear glasses. There, my sister told me the story of someone who, I don't remember who, how she found, knew the story, but she's a nurse, and how, like, someone had, like, dozens of contact lenses behind their Stop. eyeballs, and they had to have them surgically removed, and it really freaked me Darp out. Darp it. <laughs> and I don't get freaked out by shit like Ooh. that. But... I have yeah. so it is kind of scary sometimes, but you're taking your only when my eyeballs eyeballs are in your hands. I have pointy eyeballs because I have astigmatism, so I'm just a, then Me I too. have to get like pointy contacts. Like, so my, I have a pointy eyeball. I have an astigmatism, but it's most astigmatisms are pointed like a football, but mine is a football overlapping, so it's oblong, and so I have to have weighted contacts. So like I have to put them in a specific way and then blink a bunch of times, make sure they're in place. In case you guys were wondering, no. that's what my eyesight is like. <laughs> it's just scary taking them out when my eye is dry because, like, I'm, like, on my eyeball. That's so nasty. But it's fine. I once had a roommate. My hands are clean. And I, I feel like if you're saying that, it's because they're not. Like, you're like, I swear. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I had a roommate that I lived <laughs> with for two years, and I didn't know she wore contacts till after we didn't live together anymore because there was no contact solution no cases she slept in them every night it was like (gasps) uncomfortable just like ew you know everyone talks about like taking your bra off is a nice feeling which like yeah i guess i could see that but taking your eye your contacts out of your eyes at the end of the day is like (sighs) it's just like a very like why do you choose contacts over glasses well, right now it's I like wearing both. I don't know. I just like having options, but now I don't wear them because I the fog makes me want to like rip off my glasses and throw them on the ground and stomp on them. That's how pissed I get. It is when I hate it. Yeah, the mask fog. Even bartending with glasses is hard. Even before the whole mask thing, because you open a dishwasher and like it's just <sighs> too foggy. I hate it. I can't stand it. But. Anyway, Another insider look at our, your favorite bartender's <laughs> behind-the-scenes life. This, yeah, in case you guys are wondering about my prescriptions, I'm a negative two, negative one with an astigmatism. Uh, I'm like uh, something like that. Do you want to know? I'll look it up. Hold on. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. I would love to know, please. Okay, uh, so uh matt is still hallucinating and he's all broody he has gotten the creepy door open in the basement and billy goes in uh 
It's an operating room from the dream. Matt makes Billy get on the operating table and spins him really quickly, even though he he's protesting the whole time. Peter finds the two and freaks out because they're in a operating room that seems like someone just shut the door because it still has like liquids and so gross tools and dangerous. Yeah. And then we learn that Sarah knew all along, but uh, decided to take the house anyway because the family needed it. Uh, and then this is when we learn Peter is a recovering alcoholic. While the family says grace at the table, Matt has a vision of the young boy and the older man again. They round the table with other people and the boy is shaking. Seems like a seance. Matt is creeping out Billy even more and saying creepy shit to Wendy about scary stories from their childhood. He says the story of... Did you find them? Got it. Okay. <laughs> Abby's prescription is my prescription. Uh, right eye is plus 50 sphere minus one cylinder axis 180 uh, left eye is Plano <laughs> uh, 50 cylinder 005 axis hey. wow <laughs> if you ever need to impersonate us just be like there these are this is my subscription prescription not subscription. I'm subscribing to the service that makes me able to see. Yeah. Adam had LASIK. They just like suction <gasps> your eyeball out of your head and like, disgusting. That's, that freaks me out. I don't want a laser near my eyeball. Also, you have to do it more than once. So it's not like really? one and done. Yeah. I don't know. Because one of our, maybe it depends on how young you are because your, your vision starts to plateau at like 25. So one of our friends got it when he was, I think in high school, and then he had to do it again. So what a life! Gross. I think Adam got it in his mid twenties, but I'll give you an update on his LASIK surgery next time. Adam, Caesar, that bastard has perfect vision. What a life! How are his anyway. teeth? I feel like you can't have perfect. both perfect vision and teeth. Really? Straight as an yeah, <laughs> super. Our genetically gifted angel Caesar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, the opposite of me. So, uh, let's see. During Matt's chemo treatment, he meets Reverend Nicholas Popescu? Popescu. Pop- uh, I just call him Rev. I called him, I, I typed sexy Rev. That's what I started calling him. <laughs> He's hot. Listen, no shade. Okay, he, first of all, usually I'm very triggered yeah. by religious figures, but mm, I wonder, wonder why, why. Uh, sexy Reverend Popescu is like he's like hot and like open to other experiences of life outside of just like the narrow minded, you know, path that Christianity provides you. He's like seen some shit. He has a tweed jacket. He's hot. Mm, I like that jacket. He's also the least toxic. He and Billy are the only non-toxic. Males oh, we'll talk movie, about Pastor so. Skip because I have plenty to say. God. Uh, so they're talking about death and how they are both living this life in the valley of the dead between life and death. Uh, while playing hide and seek, Matt has a vision of the boy again. Someone calls his, we like follow this vision and someone's calling the boy's name and it's Jonah. He's running around the house grabbing things and then someone grabs him and drags him into the operating room. Matt follows the vision into the operating room and finds it full of dead bodies they get up and surround him. They're covered in the marks. They're missing their eyelids. Their eyes are all glossy and foggy. Um, 
Matt calls out for Wendy and all three of the kids go down to the room. While still in the vision, Matt mistakenly pushes Billy, thinking it's a corpse. Everybody freaks out. Wendy rushes the kids upstairs. Uh, Adam, Adam is picking something up. He forgot his dongle. Hi, Adam. He forgot his dongle. Babe. Need my dongle. <laughs> Need his dongle. Can I have a wine update? I'm just bringing it. Thank you. <laughs> wine update. Uh, Matt calls Rev, and come and who comes over to console Matt. They talk again about how the two of them are living in this land between the living and the dead, and he tells Matt that he should figure out what the boy wants. While doing sit-ups without a shirt on. <laughs> no, uh, he takes his shirt off what's a going lot on? in this movie. He's just like, yeah. And he's also like, you're sick with cancer. You're Aren't you cold? Currently in radiation and chemo treatments. Aren't you cold? Aren't you tired? Why the fuck are you doing sit-ups? Like, you, you, you don't, don't need, need abs to do this. Right now. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Um, so... While he's doing these unnecessary sit-ups, Jonah appears, and he's all burnt up and groaning. Billy and Mary then find Matt in another room, having placed furniture in a mound, and he's scratched at the walls until his fingernails have bled. Uh, Sarah and Peter are then at the doctor's office. They tell them, finally admit that Matt is having hallucinations, and but the doctor says he can still stay in the trial. Uh... Peter has sold his beloved old truck to pay the bills, and he is super mad about it. Back at the house, he smashes his guitar. I died and when cries. he smashed his guitar. I was like, "What a crybaby!" And then Sarah is currently taking care of all the children on her own, and she's praying and she's crying alone in bed. Uh, while playing hide and seek again, Billy goes into the dumb waiter and sees Jonah lurking behind him. While Mary is looking for a place to hide in the attic, she falls through the floor. Um, while Matt gets her out, he finds an old box and papers. There's more photographs of dead people. And then the box is full of dead people's eyelids, but they don't know that yet. But it's very clear it's an eyelid. I wrote skin chunks. It looks like an (laughs) eyelid. Yeah. I wrote skin chunks because I forgot about the eyelid (laughs) clipping earlier. It took me like 40 minutes to completely forget that. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, so some of the photos are of Jonah, the boy, with floating goo coming out of his mouth. Uh, Matt tells Wendy that he's seen this boy almost every day, and at night it feels like he's been inside him looking out through his eyes. Wendy says they need to find out what all this shit means, and she goes on a library montage. I love Gotta love it. Love a library montage, yeah. In one day, in one day, a teenager finds out an insane amount of information it's just a vast it's like she's been doing research for a year yeah uh, she she's finds like out. ready to write my dissertation <laughs> so, now yeah <laughs> yeah literally uh she's got maps she's got it's a whole it's a whole thing i uh, also kind of want either a genius or what Go i was gonna say i kind of want to hate on matt for making wendy do all the emotional labor and then i was like well he has cancer so i guess he yeah. can be low-key toxic yeah yeah So, in this one-day research spree, uh, Wendy finds out that the older man in the glasses is Ramsey Aikman, and the house used to be his mortuary. Jonah was Ramsey's assistant and was also a medium. The two would contact the dead through Jonah, and people would come to communicate with their loved ones. Ramsey found a way to amplify the seances and produce ectoplasm, which is the floating goo. Uh, And they mentioned that it came out of... 
would come out of medium's orifices, their eyes, their nose, their mouth, and then mention their lower orifices. I hope for literally no. I didn't need. I that. hoped you wouldn't mention the lower orifices, but I guess here we are. <laughs> I needed to mention it because it's so unnecessary. Uh, so the so what by doing this they became famous. During one seance, Ramsey and the other sitters died, and then no one ever found Jonah. A bunch of bodies. And then, kind of unrelated, I don't know how Wendy made this connection, but while they were making a, like, a freeway through a cemetery, they discovered that a bunch of bodies were missing. It has nothing to do with the house, and it was in, like, 1950. Check this out. This is where it gets really weird. (laughs) I was like, how do you have this? How did you know that, Wendy? Goodness. So... She and Matt think that Ramsey or Jonah stole the bodies and they call Rev the Reverend to help. You he know what I did kind of miss about the library montage though? The like uh the headlines didn't like float across the screen as she was yeah. on the computer or anything. It was kinda like, okay, we get it, but like let down. Can I we have a to little see more? like newspaper flipping through those old the microfiche readers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I apologize for interrupting you. How dare you? So the Reverend tells them that traditionally the eyes of the dead are closed, but by making the corpses have their excuse me, pardon me, who do who have their eyes uh, permanently open, it might make them protectors of the house or be able to see things. He postulates that Ramsey was using corpse bothering. Which is that an official term? I I, it kind of sounds to, official. <laughs> it sounds like yeah, 1901 official. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's using this to amplify Jonah's powers. The three decide to pray, and during this, Matt has a vision of Jonah again, and we see Jonah with the ectoplasm coming out of his mouth. Sarah comes home and freaks out because there's a strange man there. Uh, the Reverend tells her that he thinks the house is haunted and it's dangerous because Matt is close to death. Sarah comes home and freaks out because there's a strange man there. The Reverend tells her that he thinks the house is haunted and it's dangerous because Matt is close to death. Sarah says, no, he's not, and then asks the Reverend to leave. That night, the whole family has sort of haunting encounters and visions. They decide to sleep with the light on, lights on, which is fair. Uh, I heard that wastebasket. Oh, no. Sh- <laughs> It's okay. It's fine. Uh, So Peter comes home drunk, and upon seeing all the lights on, he's pissed. He breaks all the bulbs in the house, wakes everyone up with his shouting, um, and then Sarah and the kids are huddled on her bed, and then she tells him that to leave and not come back if he ever drinks again. Uh, All the bulbless lights then start flickering and exploding. The family's huddled again, and then Sarah calls the Reverend to come over and help. He discovers that Jonah's ashes are in the crematory, cream, cremator. What do you call it? Crematory. Crematory. Okay. Or a crematorium. But actually, crematory. I think crematorium is like, it's like the, the whole, whole thing. And crematory is like yeah, the, the cre- chamber. Yeah. I called it a cremator, but. Cremator. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. What is it Hold again? Hold on. Let's see if we can get a. I'm getting a little. I wrote the word. It's crematory. Is the crematory. Crematory. The cremator is the person who does the cremating, and the crematory. Cremator is the operator of the crematory. Yes. Yeah. And then just for crematory. fun, crematory. I'm say it wrong again. Oh, crematorium and crematory are interchangeable. Great news. 
It's starting. How many times can we say? It's starting to sound <laughs> not, not to like, sound a, like word. a word. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a pastry now. Okay, so uh, the crematory is where Jonas ashes are. Uh, he, the Reverend is trying to get them out. All the doors are slamming, and it seems like birds are trapped in the house. You can hear the flapping, see the shadows. Uh, Wendy, Mary, and Billy, Billy are huddled upstairs, and then Sarah is in the basement with a very sick mat. As the Reverend is collecting Jonah's ashes, uh, Jonah's spirit is lurking closer and closer to Matt. As Reverend, as the Reverend takes the ashes out and drives them away, Jonah's spirit disappears. Um, he, the Reverend, tells Sarah that there might be some aftershocks, but all should be fine. Not quite. Just as all seems fine, we still have thirty minutes left, guys. So. Uh, just as all seems fine, Sarah discovers Matt, uh, covered in the same bloody marks that Ramsey put on the dead bodies. She calls an ambulance, and the two of them go to the hospital. On the drive to wherever he plans to set, uh, Jonah's ashes, the Reverend is spooked and drives off the road. Um, Matt also sees Jonah's spirit in the hospital and has a vision. Uh, we see Jonah pursued by the spirits of the desecrated. They trap him in the crematory and burn him alive back at the house all the food has gone rotten and wendy is attacked in the shower uh kind of an unnecessary scene i just gotta we have to find a way to put the young we get it yeah no clothes yeah uh reverend calls but no one answers he leaves a message saying he was wrong and the removal of the eyelids was to make the bodies unseen and jonah was protecting the house but now that he's gone all that's left is the rage of the dead at the hospital, Peter arrives, and he and Sarah reconcile just in time to find out that Matt is very, very close to death. And oops, he's also escaped. Uh, he has walked. <laughs> and apparently, back to the he's hospital. driven his roommate insane in the process because his roommate is yeah, like chanting. Yeah, yeah, he's doing the two dead boys in the Stop! I don't uh, like it at all. So he's walked back to the house very quickly, and he stalks up to the house with an axe. Who's, she scares Wendy. He neither, nearly accidentally hacks her to death t- two times, unnecessarily. Uh, she tells the kids to hide. Instead of attacking them, he's breaking down the walls to expose the bodies. He pushes the kids out and tells Wendy that whatever she does, don't let them put out the fire. He starts throwing things and smashing things and hacking down the walls. He takes a shirt off. He sets a fire. <laughs> he has to, to take his shirt off for this. It's important. Yeah. Uh, all the dead are surrounding Matt and begin to envelop him. Uh, Sarah and Peter have arrived back at the house. Sarah bursts into the house and shields him from the fire while praying. All the souls disappear and the two are saved by the firefighters. Uh, while between life and death, Matt sees Jonah who leaves his body. Jonah also appears to the Reverend and then is hopefully at peace. Uh, we watch embers float as uh, Sarah says that Matt is alive and well and that's all that matters. She also says that God works in mysterious, mysterious ways but you don't know how mysterious uh, Then we're, and we've all been warned. So so this has that little Ed and Lorraine Warren touch which is like just a really nasty overlay of Christianity that ruins my experience of a piece of a uh, film. So this is a, such a Christian movie. I mean I feel like a lot of the horror movies are. We should do Red State because I'm really ready to have a Christian villain. We just need. Let's do it right now. I'm tired of Christian <laughs> superheroes. Yeah. Um, 
I like Reverend, okay, but like you really gotta. He is a sexy Reverend, but I don't think it was even necessary to the plot for him to be a Reverend. He could just be like a kindly gentleman. He could have been the guy who owned the house. He could have been a Satanist. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he could have been a Satanist. Uh, He could have been a contender. Okay. Uh, all right, so we're fiend. What should we talk about first? Uh, well, if you want me to choose a topic, I would like to talk about the shared American cultural fear of death that is so over the farking top in this movie. Uh, first of Let's all, the, there's so many mourning objects, and there's also like lovely vintage apothecary bottles and like mm. wonderful things in this place that they're scared of just because. They're othered. And so... You could sell them on your Etsy. I could sell them on my Etsy. I love a good apothecary bottle. But I think that it's a really dangerous trope that we see a lot of times in ghost stories, which is the othering and distancing yourself from death as though that protects you from death. And, you know, when horror movies uphold this, it just creates a, like, larger cultural consciousness that we should be afraid of death. And i'm on team accept your own death it's coming randomly and for no reason and god has nothing to do with it uh so it's that fear of death that's instilled in all of us that have been socialized in christianity or another abrahamic religion um just that like you are inherently evil death is inherently evil and if you don't get yourself right with jesus or whatever you're gonna suffer eternal damnation when really we're all just bags of meat that are eventually going to expire right and it's yeah it's damaging in the way that it prevents people from living their lives and also urges them to take rights away from other people because isn't that fun and sarah's like vehement denial that her child could die is really damaging and is the kind of thing that makes someone uh need therapy for years and years because accepting death years isn't years. easy but it's also worse to deny it and to listen to like doctors tell you that it's not going to happen when they know it's going to happen and it's also instilled in the american medical system like they are mm-hmm. very very uh very reticent to tell you that you're going to die or to tell you that a loved one is going to die and personally i would just rather have someone tell me so i could get my life together and do what i need to do Right. And then, and yeah, it's like there's preservation at all costs, at all costs, which isn't good even for like ridiculously anyone. low quality of life. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're super elderly, suffering greatly, and have like no caretakers in their life, and it's it's just frustrating to see like this depiction of death as something so evil. And lots of uh, morticians and funeral di- funeral directors just live their lives and do their jobs without practicing necromancy. So I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty damaging to why do we have to vilify, vilify them? them? Yeah, exactly. It's a useful it's a useful practice. Like it's something that we need. Like we need to be able to mourn and have a place to like talk about death and the death of the people that we loved. So. I I think embalming is pretty crazy, but they also <laughs> they also yeah like give you a place to be ashed, get ashed up. Yeah, uh, and they're trained to deal with like grieving families in a professional and sensitive way. So I think it's just really like, of course. Um, Final Destination does this too, which we'll talk about in our bonus episode, but it's mortuary mortuary workers are not inherently creepy. They're people doing a job. <laughs> They're people yeah. operating 
in capitalism and finding ways to make a living and they're professionals with a skill set that you don't have so it's not just inherently creepy to work with dead bodies okay 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 uh it's also like yeah so part of the reason like one of the instances that hit really close to home is that my grandmother had cancer uh and she had a lot of complications but ultimately the radiation was too much for her and she died from radiation poisoning so like that's like a very it's like something that was really affecting and troubling because it was supposed to be something that was going to save her and then ultimately did not do that uh so that like the face stretching the white that goes over there. I was like, I remember that. Really? I remember Whoa. seeing that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would so, have been the 90s, huh? Uh, so it was the t- mid-2000s. Oh. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my mom had a bevy of medical issues towards the end of her life, and hospitals still tweak me out and have problems with doctors because, number one, I hate I'm fat, and number two, I saw my mom like die as a result of just like complete like lack of real bedside manner or holistic medical care we got problems we got problems yeah my so we spent a lot of time in hospitals when i was young for like a lot of reasons and i hate hospitals i hate going to the doctor i won't do it and then my sister went the nurse direction and she became a nurse so she was like yeah She's like, I'll just be in a hospital all the time. This is good. I feel at home here, and I will avoid them at all costs. It makes me uh, Yeah, I don't love it. Don't love it. But, yeah, but anyway. I thought it was uh, really problematic and really mm-hmm. short-sighted and kind of, like, insulting and disrespectful generally. I do like the idea of a body of walls filled with bodies, though. Love that. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> like a, in a sort of yeah. Like, <laughs> going to just adopt that into my day-to-day. You're just going to live in a mausoleum? I wouldn't have a problem with living in a house that was once nice a funeral cold. parlor. Like, who cares? Um, I am afraid of the dark. I, like, just... I'm not, like, super into the dark. But I also listen to scary stories and all in order to go to sleep. I get sometimes I get a little scared when Adam's out of town and I'm in the apartment by myself and I watch a scary movie but I'm afraid that someone alive is hiding in here you know like I'm afraid that an alive person has broken into do you remember all those uh, news stories that came out around the time like the housing market crashed where it was people that had lost their homes that were just like living in other people's attics and basements and then creeping down to steal food that's like my biggest fear that someone is video (laughs) yes oh my god there's this story that i'm gonna butcher but it it like truly affects me to this day and i think about it all the time but that this like uh this man uh came to visit his like childhood friend and was going to ask him to stay with him because he had nowhere to live. This was, like, not in modern times. I don't remember exactly where. I feel like the 30s or 40s. Uh, but uh, they, like, got into an altercation or something. And then, so, like, he sent the friend away. And then the friend came back later, snuck into the house, was hiding in this tiny little crawl space. And then one night, came down to get food. His friend discovered him. And then he killed the guy who was hiding in the house, killed his friend, and then just continued to live in the house. And then the cops, like, didn't know what was happening. Like, 
because they couldn't find the guy because they thought this crawl space was too small for anyone to live, to, like, get into, let alone live. And then the wife of the guy who was murdered was convinced that the ghost of her husband was there because she was, like, seeing a man walking yeah. around the house. Oh and so God. she fled. And then the guy just lived in the house until one of the neighbors was like, um, I've seen someone in that house living in there. And then the cops came and they saw his little feet dangling out of the crawl space. And that's how they found That's so him. horrifying. Isn't that so fucking scary? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, like, if someone needed housing and food, I would be like, please tell me instead of moving into the walls of my home without my knowledge. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then eventually murdering. Don't murder me, please. Uh, yeah. So. so let's talk about anywho. What are we talking? Let's about? talk about toxic men, and let's start with Peter, who is like the worst piece of shit in this movie. Pastor Skip. Okay, yeah. So Pastor Skip's whole vibe was like, I want to, but I can't because I'm like beholden to the Lord or whatever. And this guy's whole vibe is like long-suffering patriarch of the family, battling alcoholism and sacrificing everything for his children while subsequently being an absent and negligent parent. I also don't like the, like, I don't like the recovering alcoholic through line either because suffering from drug addiction and alcoholism it doesn't make you a bad person it's a very one note peter handling. is a bad peter person, is a bad person <laughs> yeah but it is a very <laughs> not one because note, he's an alcoholic it's a very one note handling of substance abuse issues so there's yeah. the conflation of if you are addicted to a substance you're automatically cruel and you're automatically part of the mm-hmm. bad binary and so that's how peter plays out like he smashes his guitar which is like the most toxic man thing to do and then in the scene when he comes home and freaks out because the lights are on, he's like Jim Welty, fucking if I turn the thermostat above 60 degrees. <laughs> Such a dad thing. Uh, but he's mm-hmm. enraged. He's angry. And I mean, he is also experiencing the grief of losing a son while battling substance abuse issues. But instead mm-hmm. of exploring that with any like carefulness or consideration for people that have experienced addiction issues it's just sort of like you are bad yeah it's uh yeah it's troubling and i i don't know he's just like my wife is more powerful than me how dare she i'm gonna smash a bunch of shit and make a scene and then not come back because my even though my my wife is clearly in trouble and having to raise and struggling yeah and and our son is dying i'm gonna fuck off and i'm really pissed because i had to sell my beloved truck because we're struggling yeah financially as a family like that seemed like his important turning point is that he had to get rid of something he liked in order a sacrifice for the family even though it's an ugly fucking truck and then like he got really pissed about it even though she is sacrificing she was driving through the night she was like giving all of her emotional energy to her family and to her son and she was she got a job some doing something else like it just right all the burden falls to her and it's not and she also left her life and her home base and the structures that like kept her sane presumably friends and family to live in like Mm -hmm. a weird haunted house with a sick child and like other family members that she's supporting (sighs) annoying i do i do also like i i really like virginia madsen i think she does a great acting job but as a character i think sarah is pretty also pretty one note and boring like she is reduced to just her motherhood she doesn't get to go along in any of these ghostly adventures like she is she just has to deal with the aftermath yeah 
that's it. Yeah. And she's like very like has all the characteristics of a like the perfect mother. She's strong. She's loving. She's understanding. She'll do anything for her children. She literally shields Matt with her own body and then is just like this conservative Christian mother uh, Virgin Mary. So it's um, we're, we're yeah, pantomiming the Virgin Mary. I thought the scene that was most telling of this um, gender binary that they're trying to sell us uh, was when they're both dealing with like their respective grief after a hospital visit. And yeah. it's like very mm-hmm. cis hat. Peter smashes his guitar and gets drunk in the basement. And then Sarah just like is in her bed weeping and clinging to her rosary. And so that was like a really reductive version of like how people experience grief and especially how like the quote unquote genders experience grief. Like all she can do Mm -hmm. is pray. She has no other support and Peter is allowed to kind of like fuck off and, and he's enraged because he can't experience true sadness or true grief Mm -hmm. because he's not capable of it because of his socialization and his shittiness as a person. And his shittiness. We also see the gender binary in Wendy and Matt, who he is allowed to like be shirtless and do sit-ups, even though he's going through chemo. And Wendy's like mom too. She has to take care of the children. (laughs) Yeah, she is the mini mom and has to is always taking care of the children. And whenever Sarah isn't able to be around, she's the one who everything falls to. And they say several times that Wendy's in charge. Wendy's in charge when they're not around. So like. And she's a teenager, and like it shouldn't be her responsibility to take care of. The and Wendy either, so. is not allowed to experience her own like selfhood or her own grief because we know Wendy's parents aren't around. We know she's a niece. We don't know why, but presumably it's something difficult in her personal life. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any agency. She has no personality outside of being like the second protector when Sarah isn't in a scene. Yeah, yeah. So the two women are reduced to motherhood roles and nothing else. The only person who gets to do anything interesting is Matt, and he doesn't do it that interesting. No, I think... Honestly, he's pretty boring. I know, and I feel like, I don't know, I just, like, really want me to be the one in a haunted house, because everybody knows you just don't listen to them, or, like, let it go. Also, like, I know this is a financial burden story, and a very, like, very 2009 scary story totally. story because of the the fucking housing totally. boom and everyone mm-hmm. financially and the recession and like that that is a big to use abby words through line of like financial crisis right but i'm still in financial they, crisis this was not their house they could be like didn't oh, work out that. we're just gonna drive gonna around go yeah. for a bit until we we're gonna keep driving through the night until we find a better yeah there's no financial onus on them except like okay maybe you lose first and last but like your kid is going slowly insane and experiencing hallucinations at their like results as a result of living in this space and you don't live there yeah. even though you threw people shit away that did live there you did. And also, like, he's doing sit-ups, so he can sit in a car for six hours as you drive to your house. Like, it's not... Yeah. I think he'll be fine. Also, this just, like, obviously lays bare the failings of our healthcare system and our financial system. Of and course. Capitalism. And capitalism. Because there should be... Uh, like systems in place so that they can stay, have accommodations, be able to have mm-hmm. access to the healthcare they need within their own zip code, et cetera, et cetera. 
And obviously they're like financially struggling, although it's not expressed outside of anything. But like we're financially struggling and Peter had to sell his truck. Yeah. Uh, it's also like she's at one point uh, Sarah's talking on the phone to Peter about how much pills cost and like twenty five dollars a industry, pill. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. Never been there before. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. The like and having really a terminally ill family member shouldn't put you into such financial duress, and it's a huge failing of capitalism, and it's a non-transparent failing of the system. And when we see it reflected in a movie like this, where the real villain becomes, like, a ghost. Death. It's really problematic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because the real villain of our whole lives is money. And it's also, like, having any... Healthcare is a human right. Having any sort of, like, medical issue shouldn't put you in debt. No. It shouldn't make you have to make really difficult life choices. Um, and you should have housing no matter what. Yeah. 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 Isn't that a radical idea? I'm really tired of people telling me, me thinking that people deserve food and a, and a place to live is a radical idea. It's bullshit. It's not a radical idea. That's the most human thing. Like, it's just the, like, what? structure. I mean, as someone that works in fundraising, it's really gross because we see people with generational wealth that are white, usually, uh, continue to benefit from generational wealth, and then they get to throw it at philanthropic causes, like ending people being quote-unquote homeless and then they can feel like they did their part when really like a true redistribution of that wealth is what helps people become housed that are unhoused but they can still pat themselves on the back for being philanthropic and it's such a systemic issue uh, and philanthropy is something that's obviously very completely American because this sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, we need to help people comes from the fact that we live in a very, very capitalist nation more than any other. And the need to help people comes from the fact that our system inherently marginalizes people. <sighs> and the real help would come from systemic change. Yeah. Uh. Nobody needs to be like, I gave a thousand dollars so people not homeless anymore. Like, no, we need a Now I'm going to go drive system. home in my Mercedes. Exactly. Yeah. To one of my many houses. And if you are yeah, looking it's... for it, you see this failing of the system reflected in media from something as, like, dumb and kind of, like, base or considered base as horror films to, you know, mm-hmm. more selective, high, fine art. But <sighs> I don't know. What will it take? Do we know? I don't know. I hate rich people. Have I said it before? Me too. I eat the rich. I, yeah, I just, I think it's like, yeah, if you really take the time to critically think about literally anything in our lives, like, you can see that we need drastic change immediately. Right now, people are dying. Literally right this second. Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't understand why, like... Anybody that I know personally, because nobody that I know makes more than six figures a year, which in the scheme of things isn't an immense amount. It is more than I'm comfortable with anyone making because you don't need that much. Mm, Um, Yeah. But I just don't understand why anybody that I know can want to cling to capitalism. There is no hope in capitalism. There's no humanity. And then I think about like, my own wants of like wanting to buy a house and like have a place to to like have my to let my dog run around have a place to like create art and like have 
Caesar be able to grow weed? And like, then I think like, okay, that's a really toxic thing to think. And then I'm like, no, no it's not. that's a thing that everyone, everyone wants. And that. I don't just want it for me. I want it for exactly. Everyone. I want everyone to have that. And everyone should have that. It's really, I resent and I'm exhausted by being a part of this slog that forces me to work really hard, try to find better opportunities so I can make more money, so I can mm-hmm. pay to like get our car fixed and like have yeah. the he- health care I need and like pay for my antidepressants. It's just so frustrating like how much access I have and how little access I have compared to marginalized people in this country. Mm-hmm. I feel... I mean, it's really easy to feel hopeless, but that's we're here to lift people up, to lift marginalized voices up and to show people that we are capable of organizing and a better better world is possible. And if one person like takes that to heart from listening to this stupid, stupid podcast, podcast. I will feel like we're a success. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In case you were like read our Instagram tagline and it was like, oh, maybe they're just throwing around this anti-capitalist communist uh word then you're wrong or organizing are, is hard <laughs> that's all we talk about that's the yeah. thing like i really um, recognize that organizing is scary and hard and uncomfortable and sometimes it's really hard to know where to start but uh the place to start is to listen to the bipoc in your life and hear what they need and hear what they're not getting from the system that we live in and how the system is actually actively damaging them And yeah, just having an open heart and an open mind and remembering that you have privilege and especially white people, the wealth that you have is unearned. It doesn't belong to you. Give it back. Pay reparations. So do you want to talk about desecration? Uh, do I? Boy, do I. Do we? Uh, sure. I like don't even know. Is it even beneficial? Don't touch dead bodies. Don't desecrate bodies? Yeah. Unless it's expressly like explicit that that's what the previously alive person wanted you to do to their body yeah exactly just don't do it. i decided i'm giving my body to the body farm in knoxville tennessee you told me this i think that's cool i've thought about that too i think ultimately i want to be a tree because i just want to i want my body to leave the least amount of impact possible like on the environment hey, hey we're back. we had technical difficulties it wouldn't be the spooky succubus cast if surprise, we didn't. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so we were um, talking about desecration. And wanting to be a tree. And you wanting to be a tree. Uh, and me wanting to be just like a bloated corpse on a body farm and baking in the open air for anthropologists to study. Which I stand by. That sounds yeah, pretty it's gonna cool. going to be good. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, don't take anybody's eyelids unless they ask you. No eyelid snipping. That's true. Well, now that we finally got the recording fixed, do you have anything else you want to say about thick? I thick. Uh, she thick. She was. She hefty. was thick. It's true. <coughs> uh, I do think it was a pretty good movie. Sorry, pardon me. That was uh, out of nowhere. COVID uh, alert. Just kidding. She already had it. Too late. Already <laughs> had it. Uh, it has a hearty seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yeah. I thought it was better than that. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, Virginia Madsen was great. Uh, Peter Campbell, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Pastor Skip, really didn't need to be there at all. Um, Yeah. She could have been a single I mean, the sexy Rev, I stand all day. Yeah, he's the only one. Uh, 
but yeah, I think the scares were okay. I think like it's a, it was a, I think our first like family oriented scary movie. Yeah. Right. I'm not like that into them because I just like really dislike uh, female characters being pigeonholed into only experiencing motherhood and Mother not rules. having any other mm-hmm. um, agency. So like the conjuring was kind of like that. It's just really hard because it's a good ghost story, but the end is like the mother saved the day through a mother's love. And I was like, Ugh, yeah. come on. Oh, also just for the listeners out there, I viewed saw for the first time this week. <laughs> oh, Never yeah. seen it before. Carrie Elwood yeah, is we, a weird guy. That's all I have to say. Uh, I will. I mean, yeah, he's a weird guy. I'm not sure about his politics. We talked about this before. Uh, so I don't know. But Wesley from The Princess Bride. Swoon, for sure. Man, talk about, yeah, sexual awakening. I watched that movie over and over again, and it wasn't for better. I was kind okay. of into Andre the uh, Giant, honestly. I mean, both. Uh, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin as, yeah. They, Mandy as Patinkin, in, if you're listening, I love you, okay? Yeah, you're great. Still. Come on, he's so cool. You know, he's like Criminal Minds uh, was like I the, love, the no worst thing he's ever done. He regretted it. What in the hell is happening over there? My system is, somehow it's still overloaded, whatever. Let's keep, just let's I'm gonna just, shit a brick. let's just get, <laughs> let's finish this. Okay, where do you want to find us? In my grave because Abby's going to kill me. We're having problems. I'm not going to kill you. I'll kill myself. If anyone, I'm going to kill Adam. (laughs) All right. At SpookySuckyBiss underscore cast on Instagram. Our link tree has all the shits. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, we'll love you forever and do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. We'll do it. We have no shame. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, And like rate review subscribe please leave us a nice review or a mean review we don't care I mean, just leave us something leave just a nice one and if you have a mean something three stars to say, minimum dm us okay yeah we're not gonna change so it, it won't, won't matter but uh feel free yeah all right fuck capitalism fuck demonizing the death industry fuck fat phobia fuck, fuck food insecurity body desecration fuck women being relegated to motherhood roles um fuck necromancy yeah. i guess i guess fuck that's the housing that. market yeah fuck the pharmaceutical industry um fuck cancer did we say that yeah anyway i guess fuck cancer too yeah i mean it's not its fault but still it's not fun. Cancer is just don't existing. It. It's not its fault. Okay, yeah. anyway. Don't, don't, cancer? No. Don't stand okay, too close to the bad. microwave. Let's pretend right. this didn't happen. Don't stand too close to the microwave. And I guess keep your cell phone not near your uterus. I, I think that's that a thing, too. All right. We love <laughs> okay, you. Bye. bye.